I'm Bernie Crane. I'm John Crane. You're listening to the Jazz Session with Jason Crane, our dad. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Kyle Quas. This is episode 411 for Monday, October 8th, 2012. There are seven shows remaining, and today's guest is Jessica Lurie. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They and their albums are online at respectsextet.com. Thanks to Dave Rabel for the show's logo and Rob Grundle for the Jazz or Bust logo. You can follow me on Twitter at Jason D. Crane. You can join the mailing list at thejazzsession.com. And you can follow my travel diaries and my poetry at jasoncrane.org, recently redesigned, so go check that out. Today's guest is someone I've long admired and I've actually been trying on and off for the last couple of years to get on the show. And for whatever reason, it's never quite worked out. So this last time when I was in New York City and recording the last batch of interviews, it was important to me to have Jessica Lurie on the program. In the interview, we talk about musical scenes and particularly uh, the Seattle scene, which is where Jessica's from. And after the interview, she sent me an email that about something that she felt she had kind of uh, not been clear enough about in the interview. And I'm just going to read you these couple lines from her email. She says, quote, I was thinking about community and the New York City music community, and what I wanted to add was that I feel really lucky and happy to be a part of the amazing music community that's here. I kept thinking the bigger public community, but more close to home are the great people I get to play and collaborate with on a daily basis, unquote. So keep those words in mind as we get into the community section of the conversation with my guest, Jessica Lurie, and here's some music from her album, Megaphone Heart. My guest is multi-instrumentalist Jessica Lurie. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Pleasure to be here. Uh, I want to talk about – well, obviously, we'll talk about uh, Megaphone Heart also. But um, you're one of the few people I've ever interviewed on this show who came up in Seattle. I think there's only one other I've ever really talked to. And I'm interested in – Who is the other person? Oh, which is Jason Parker. Oh, Jason um, Parker. Yeah, trumpet player. And I'm just kind of interested in in what that was like as a place to – because, I mean, most people, I guess, when we think of Seattle from our – 
parochial East Coast perspective. You Grunge think mostly dude. of rock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it sounds like there's a pretty cool and creative scene in that town. There's an amazing scene in Seattle. Um, uh, I mean, I grew up playing classical music and, you know, playing in some youth orchestras and, and uh, just my father's a, well, a psychiatrist by trade, but playing violin and viola and there's always chamber music in the home. And so heard a lot of classical music and, but then, you know, got interested in jazz and, but definitely rock is a prevalent thing in that town. Like it's a rock town. Sure. You know, like you can hear heart broadcasting over the city because everything carries like, ah, you know, <laughs> you just hear, <laughs> like, ah, break. you know, it's like, uh, so, um, so you grow up with this, I guess with that, but when, um, when I was in high school, you know, I was playing in funk bands and there was this whole scene, like the sort of punk scene, the sort of eighties punk scene. Um, and you had like the U-Men and you had student nurse and you had like different bands coming through skinny puppy, you know, had like all this kind of super great punk style stuff. And in my high school, there was this band called the probes, um, that, uh, it was just, I don't know. They were my little heroes. And when I was in high school and they were sort of doing this weird eclectic, kind of punky funk mix also that had a real folk rock thing to it. So when you think about like the grunge style or whatever that comes out of Seattle, it makes a lot of sense to me of this merging of the folk and the rock and then these sort of experimental elements. And I think that that is part of Seattle because I I went to Wesleyan for college. And then when I moved back to Seattle, I started getting much more into experimental music and and jazz and improvising and, and composing for improvising um, ensembles. And um, the audience is very open, I think, to people being experimental. And maybe there's, you know, some people say, oh, in the West Coast, there's more space. So there's more room for people to experiment more, which may or may not be true. I mean, Seattle's fairly dense in its own way. But uh, there's a real mixing of the scenes and the scene that I was in, where you had people who were uh, playing rock, but then also playing funk and then playing Balkan and playing, you know, Indian Solka too. And then we're doing completely free improvised jazz where anyone, everyone gets mad if you play a melody and to, <laughs> you know, um, blues. So you had this real, you would have crossover between the same players that were playing in similar scenes. Um, one person I started working with a lot out there, uh, who I still work with is Amy Denio. And she was in this band, the Tone Dogs. And, also has done a lot of experimental music on her own. She was on the Knitting Factory label, and she really introduced me to a lot of more experimental stuff. And also um, another friend who I just played with a couple of nights ago, Skerrick, or it's Eric Walton. Sure. So he's a good friend. And, you know, where, again, you have this crossing of scenes. Like, that was very funny. On Tuesday night, um, it was at the Cameo Room, the Cameo Gallery in Williamsburg. And so this new band, this new project of Skerrick's was playing Bandalabra, and it's like you know, Skerrick and Andy Coe and um, Devon Williams and Evan, I'm completely forgetting Evan's last name. But anyway, so it's this quartet. But then Elizabeth Pupa Walker played percussion, who lived in Seattle. Reggie Watts showed up and lived in Seattle. I sat in with them. Um, and then Kochemi Gastelum was also playing, who's from San Diego, but he's like a Seattle. <laughs> so it, it was like this Seattle old home week, but it really had the Seattle sound. And I was trying to figure out what is that? And it to me, again, it's that merging of sounds. And I think, again, because the climate of Seattle is very accepting to to that merging, to these cross-cultural things, and not saying, oh, you, if you only play this style, 
you know, or you, if you're going to play Latin music, you've got to only play Latin music. Or if you're going to play Balkan, you can only do Balkan. looking at the reviews of my newest album it's like all of them are like she's sort of consistently eclectic or dedicating you know like there's all these different styles but they sort of meld into one and you know i feel like there's a lot of projects in seattle like this other band i'm in the tipton sax quartet we we used to be the billy tipton memorial saxophone quartet then we shortened the name (laughs) to the tiptons but um but our repertoire is incredibly eclectic and try as we might to Make, you know streamline it uh, we we never do because we find that you know we're influenced when we as composers we're influenced by music with a lot of soul and so whatever that means and how that translates into our own compositions or into arrangements and the same the same is true with my music and I guess since the Tiptons was uh, the first band or the when we were still the Billy Tipton blah 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 um, that was one of the first bands like right after I moved back to Seattle um, that I started playing with and touring with, and immediately I was like thrown into oh eclecticism. This is the way to go. And then I was in this. Then I started um, with Arnie Livingston, this bassist. We started this band, Living Daylights, and again it was like, okay, it's funk. It's kind of punky funk, but it's also kind of eclectic and angular <laughs> and sort of you know groovy. But and that just seemed kind of like the way to. It just was sort of the, has been the way that I functioned, and the, a lot of musicians that I know. Um, who have very diverse tastes in things and are very open to a lot of different musical styles and I suppose influences is how it affects their composition and how they play. So, do you ever feel? Uh, I, I kind of get the sense sometimes when I you know look at, at music press or when I talk to musicians that there's a, people almost feel a need to defend eclecticism, like to defend the fact that their music cannot be easily categorized. I wonder if that strikes any kind of chord with you. Um, well, I'm always sort of, <laughs> I'm sort of like, I don't know what record bin I'm supposed to be in. Um, I think, you know, it's, uh, people do feel the need to defend it in the sense that because marketing pressures you to be um, commodified, so to speak, into one label. And um, also certain audiences are not uh, so willing to be open they might be like, well, what is it? If you can't define it, you can't just say I like it or or it's or it makes my 
makes me want to dance or makes me feel happy or or triggers strong emotions it's more like no it's got to be blues or it's got to be this or it's got to be the and i think that there's behind it is a marketing thing and um and it's a shame i think because i think that it um causes audiences to miss out on something that they could really experience and like like i've had the experience of in a in all of the groups I play in where people are like, I hate jazz, but I like you. And I'm like, or I like the music that you're doing, or I don't really listen to Balkan music ever, but I hear it in your music. Or are you doing Jewish music? I never listened to Jewish music, but it sounds like, you know, and I think that if people weren't trapped by the marketing um, restrictions, um, then they would be exposed to more. Like in Europe, I feel that audiences are, maybe it's a, there is a thing of people are like, it's a band from America. It has jazz in it. It has this world music thing in it. Um, let's check it out. And there's more um, openness to doing that, I think, there than than there is in America, at least in terms of marketing um, bands. Uh, so, I, yeah, I guess people then all in the end get defensive about eclecticism because there's this idea that, you know, you should only do one thing whereas i guess my path has been like well it's me and it's my music and it's catalyzing somehow in this way and um and i'm okay with that and you know but it does make it difficult when people are like well what's your music like and you can't say well it's a bunch (laughs) of messed up folk tunes you know because because to me a lot of my music is inspired in this sort of like what's the song in it whether it's completely angular and free but where does where does it go? What's the line that follows throughout it? And um, and a lot of folk music, which is a broad term, um, I think falls into that. Whether it's from you know Pakistan or you know South Carolina, right? <laughs> I think there are similarities where you have these folk traditions that you know keep the li- the narrative through their music, and that's what I'm trying to do also.
as I've uh, as I've been on this tour for the last few months, I've been trying to explore not only how people are having creative lives outside of New York City, which is where we currently are and where I normally live, but also how the role of of the musician, how being a musician changes from place to place. Like if it, uh, several people have pointed out when I was in New Orleans how being a musician in New Orleans means you're much more a part of the community than they ever felt like they were in New York, like a part of the larger community, not just the musical community. And so I wonder, um, you know, you've been here in New York a decade now, but I wonder if, if there's any kind of comparing contrast you can do between what it's like being a musician in, in the Seattle scene versus once you came to New York and if there are noticeable differences in how you, how I, you interact or, uh, well, it was funny. I was thinking about New Orleans, where I think there's a lot more music on the street, and it's much more accepted, and you run into less hassles from the authorities for being on the street. Um, I think that can play a big part of it, and that's that is also true in Europe. Although the Tiptons did get chased by, on one day we tried to busk, and we got chased by first a policeman, then a priest, and then a bus driver. <laughs> That was all in Berlin, but maybe Berlin is like New York. I don't know. You but, got chased by a priest. For well, we a didn't busking? get chased, but we were. It was like we were busking, and it was kind of. We were too close to the church, and he said, "This is a place of worship. You must be quiet now." <laughs> we were like, "Okay, take it easy now." <laughs> and what was the bus driver's excuse? The bus driver, I don't know. He was just like, "You're scaring away the customers, or something." You know, it's a, I don't know. It was just weird. It was, it, and it was cold, and we were like, "Okay." Do we get enough money for hot chocolate? Right. No. So, I mean, because sometimes in Europe, actually, when we have a day off, if we want to play out or actually, like, advertise a show, because we're a very portable band, um, we'll busk on the street. And sometimes you can actually do quite well. And you meet a lot of great people. That is one thing, is that you really connect with people differently. I think in Seattle, um, I, I think I'm more of, I guess, was more of, or felt more of the community in the sense that it's a smaller scene. It's a sort of smaller community. You see more people more often in overlapping places. Um, and, uh, I mean, even when I go back there, and which is still pretty often, and, uh, yeah, it's kind of like you're instantly, like, plugged into this thing that's happening. I think within New York, there's so much music going on all the time. Um, that's one factor, but with the community... Thing. I guess what I've noticed, you know, I'm, I'm right now I'm performing in Circus Amok, which is led by Jennifer Miller and um, the, mu- the musical director is Jenny Romaine. And, you know, so we're playing these free presentations on the street. And um, it is not, despite the name, a circus with animals and all that kind of no stuff. No animals, although clear, we do yes. have one. We do have one. We're a one ring circus. It's a political circus. Um, the topic this year is about stop and frisk. And the numbers of stop and frisk in New York and how it's um, the racial profiling and all that stuff. We do. um, It's a great show, even though you'll hear this after the show. But um, we do have one dog, which is new, but it's one of the acrobats dogs and he's just twirling around, (laughs) jumping through. (laughs) But what I noticed is that we really connect with people on the street and we really um, and music and the performance really connects with people on the street. And um, the same is true with Jenny Romaine, who is the musical director with her with great small works um this theater company she does a lot of spectacle theater and so we've done a lot of things on the street um and also with kenny wallison who i play with often in the himalayas and some other things you know again it's music where you're really embracing the public and you're kind of in the face of the public or it's for 
um, or you're in the face of the cops, but the cops can't really do anything with you because it's a piece. It's a it's a what do you say? A protected protected speech. march right. thing. So that but we surround the cops a little. But you know, it's it's connecting with people live. There is something incredibly powerful about it, and that is where I really feel there's a strong community connection. Um, I think when you're connecting, and the same is true, what you try to do as a musician, connecting with people when you're performing live, you know, crossing the stage barrier. Um, but sometimes it's more difficult. And also, you know, who can come and see your shows? You know, even as a musician who wants to go, I want to go out and see all my friends play, but I can't necessarily afford it, you know, and or afford it every night. So I think accessibility of music and and therefore accessibility and connection to the to a certain community is um can be limited depending on where you're playing but i don't know in terms of the role of community i mean i think musicians are always crucial i think well music and art are crucial to community building and community structure why um i don't know i just think it weaves an integral fabric i think it it preserves memory it preserves oral history um you know, Woody Guthrie is or like one of the many, you know, great examples of like somebody who, uh, you know, chronicled events and bring them back. And the same is true, you know, John Coltrane about Alabama or um, it's it's making making statements about history, personal history, past and present reflections. Um, and I think that's important to society and to growth of people in general as a community and as thinking people um i think that music and art have the possibility to sort of transform people's ways of thinking like they might really hate uh a certain group like what's a good example oh i don't know the tiptons <laughs> tiptons always seem to get in these funny places where like we played in central washington it was very conservative we ate at a dinner that was hosted by um people who were really strong reagan supporters and really strong bush supporters and which is very contrary to my politics and but we still had a really nice dinner and they loved our concert and they loved talking about the music and the energy of it and it gave them all these ideas even if you know we purposely didn't talk about politics sure but sort of crossing that you know it's like i don't know to me it felt like we made a connection the same is true when um i don't know we could be in some place in uh i could be performing in some place in germany or and and feel like uh you know, it's hard to get through to the audience or it feels like you're not getting a reaction. But then there's, you know, this handful of people might be a full room, but then there's a handful of people who just get really get transformed by it. And you have people saying, oh, this reminds me of this friend I lost or this reminds me of my daughter, you know, in a joyous occasion or this or something, you know, personal. It creates a personal how to say it. It's creating personal from universal. Sure. Ideas. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> So, I don't know. I mean, I think in Europe where there's much more funding for cultural things like music and art presented on a regular basis to communities, I think it's there's a stronger uh, regularity maybe for the communities to, to respond to, to art and culture. But I think that's why it's even more important in America, <laughs> getting out there with your weird sounds and, and, you know, bringing them across the Midwest and and into all the little pockets of places where people wouldn't expect to hear that music and i think it connections can be made and i think those connections are important you used the phrase a moment ago crossing the stage barrier can you say more about that well it's kind of like the lip of the stage i mean you know if you you're on the stage and you have those monitors 
uh, so your sound's coming back to you, but the people, even if they could be right at your stage, but they're, you know, a few feet back or 10 feet back, or they're all sitting in chairs. And um, even if you're playing something that's super groovy that maybe they could dance to if they wanted to, but the establishment said, don't dance. So they're sitting there and it's hard to, uh, you know, depending on how you're feeling as a performer, um, you, it can be hard to sometimes connect with people. And, but I think, you know, but that's what one's striving for is to connect, make that kind of connection, which, um, you know, sometimes you, it's just through the performance alone. Sometimes it's through the, the joke you tell or the introduction on the mic. Sure. Or, um, and sometimes it's just the willingness of the audience, but it's just, there, there can be this real, really weird, uh, line that's sometimes hard to get across. Or sometimes you just push through and it actually, somehow you succeed. <laughs> just like, I'm going to give you my music now and you're going to dig it somehow or you're going to leave and that's cool too. So, you know. That's great. <laughs> I, uh, I've seen you many times in many different contexts, but I think the most recent time, uh, shortly before I left, was at the 5C Cultural Center where you and Maz did right. a uh, kind of a two solo shows. And you ended by singing, which I thought was very powerful and certainly was surprising. I mean, certainly you sing in other contexts, but uh, but it was you know kind of surprising in the context of what had happened that evening. And I thought it was kind of a powerful way to, I don't know if reduce is the right word, but kind of to bring things down to the most basic elements. I mean, just kind of us in the room and one human voice. I thought it was a great, just kind of a great moment. I wonder if... Oh, thanks. Yeah, if that's a, a technique you can employ to kind of reach out to people in that sense. <laughs> no, but I will from now yes. on. <laughs> Now that I know it works. Now yeah. that I know it works. Um, well, it's interesting because I've been singing a lot more and uh, I don't – I'm sort of now at a place where like I'm comfortable just like singing out solo voice in a room. Um, and yeah, I think it's – it's and because I've been studying some – studying voice and like it's very interesting when you spent most of your life playing behind an instrument in a way like – you know, wailing on the saxophone and just like being loud and crazy and all that kind of stuff. And same with flute or, you know, even with accordion, even though I'm not like the greatest accordion player by far, <laughs> but bravado over technique. <laughs> but, um, but there's this instrument in front of you that actually is, um, it's sort of like your little support. Like it's just this thing in front of you. So to take it away and only have voice, um, it's a very vulnerable thing for me. And, but I'm really, uh, I really liking it now, now that I'm also more confident with my singing, but it, it connects to people. I mean, it's really interesting. Like I've started singing more on my albums and I've had a lot of people who've heard a lot of my music who were like, Oh yeah. You know, they really liked what I was doing before, but they, they were like, we really like your voice. And there's something about, um, connecting the voice to people. I mean, as an artist, uh, like, uh, organizing albums or writing songs um, I had this decision of like well do you just do a completely instrumental or do you do only voice record but I've sort of steadfastly <laughs> in my way mixed the two and um, and you know I think that for me that's a good balance because some people really want to hear the instrumental stuff and some people it's just the voice connects people and solo voice I haven't never done a solo voice recording but Maybe I will after, after this, but it's um, it's a uh, it's very vulnerable place, but it's also a really beautiful place, and it is really simple, and um, 
And again, I don't know, it's it maybe it's almost an easier way to draw people in because you don't have something between you and the audience. Like it's just, you know, the human sound. Plus there's so many I think connotations around the idea of the unaccompanied voice. I mean, you know, I think in my own example, I mean, the main times when I'm singing with no instruments behind me is like when I'm singing to my kids to put them to sleep or, you know, when you're singing in the shower or, I mean, it's just so like everybody has unaccompanied kind of vocal uh, memories. You know, it's your, it's your parents singing to you or whatever it might be, or maybe it's in a, you know, religious context or something. But the idea of a voice alone is very different than the idea of a voice with instrumental backing. With a band. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah, I like it. It's, I think there's something captivating about it. I mean, for me as a performer and for me listening to listening to a solo voice like it just everything's kind of out there can I write you a letter last it out from a megaphone high all my thoughts are much clearer when I let the words fall out I thought you hear all the all the new you hear all the levels all the overtones all the nuances all the imperfections and i think you really can hear the emotion unless someone's incredibly good at masking right. their emotion <laughs> but um but it's but it's exciting it's an exciting i i and i guess yeah that's a really good point about about memories of solo voice that's actually true maybe that is part of what triggers to people or connects you know, their memory, their audio memory. Sure. I don't know. Will you uh, talk to me about uh, Megaphone Heart, maybe starting with the folks who are on it with you? I have this amazing band. I love my band. Um, uh, I hope I can take them around the world. Um, I uh, worked, have worked for years with Todd Sikafus, who also um, helped a lot with the production um, and mixed uh, and engineered um, the CD. He's playing bass. Um and he's fantastic to work with also as a you know producer person because he it's like when we're in the studio we're like yeah let's just lay this on and let's try this and do this and then we'll come back and mess with it later and um and it, yeah it was just amazing working with him so uh so he's on that and then um Allison Miller is playing drums who's just fantastic and Eric Deutsch is playing piano um i think he's playing piano and organ and a few other noisemakers. We did some prepared piano stuff. 
<laughs> probably put the piano out of tune. Um, and Brandon Seabrook is playing uh, guitar and banjo and bowed banjo too. So, and then um, I have a special guest, Marika Hughes is playing cello on a few numbers. So, and was this, uh, can you talk a little bit about the genesis of this album? Was it an album? Was it a, a thing where you were kind of hearing a set of sounds or a kind of sound palette in your head, and you said, "Okay, it's time to to document this"? Was it a collection of songs that seemed like enough for a record? How did the? Um, how did it come I guess about? it was a collection of songs that all sort of came together. Let's see, the album came out. We finished recording it in 2011, so the songs I was working on from like 2010, like late 2010. And a lot of them really came together sort of in the winter 2010 into 2011. Um, I guess, uh, I don't know. I can't really say it was a concept album, but I sing a lot with megaphones. Like the title came out Megaphone Heart because I I really liked that title and I was writing this song. Um, like the title track is about, uh, well, there's all these people I knew who were dying. And um, trying to come to grips to that and how to put it into, I guess, how to put it into words and, and song. And um, and then sort of the sound qualities, I like everything was sort of like these, the vocal stuff, these kind of wistful, um, not exactly Americana, but somewhat around that, like traveling songs. You know, a lot of them had to be like the song Once um, I wrote inspired by well, sort of home memories, but also being in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where there'd been this terrific flood that sort of wiped everything out and sort of thinking about the power of nature and stuff like that. And um, and maps is also, well, that's more about driving around Italy, but, but, uh, but it's also about traveling and being in journey. So I guess a lot of these songs, they're kind of about journeys, like Bells. Well, Bells is sort of inspired by a picture that my mom took of her garden. Um, and I don't know, it had, was bluebells, but we couldn't call it, really call it bluebells <laughs> because the title would get massacred. And I won't go into it, but, um, and, uh, and I'm trying to think, I have to remember all, and Zashto, that's about why, but that's also about like being, um, being apart from loved ones and sort of, again, trying to travel through distance it just means why in croatian um and it yeah i'm trying to think of all the songs I was it's interesting i mean even just hearing you describe the backstories i think in a lot of cases uh, i don't know if i want to get myself in trouble by saying this it maybe it's the case that many jazz records are not composed jazz records we're already in trouble are not composed of songs that have backstories you know they're like oh this is an interesting compositional vehicle or here's a head to blow over right whereas this is much more a songwriting kind of record i mean a record that comes yeah i already feel guilty about saying that well, but a record comes, that comes it, from experience human experience it comes stories. from human experience it comes from like um yeah thinking about i guess backstories um i mean not always can i say the melody of the title came first sure but Except with the lyrics, then it's kind of, then it's a little more clear. Well, usually the lyrics come first and then I have to figure out what the title is from that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, a lot of them really do have backstories. I feel like this album is the most sort of cohesive one that I've done so far. Maybe the most accessible one in terms of, um, because it has that song quality um, and because it's this balance of songs and instrumental stuff. But, um 
uh, yeah, I guess all of the songs really do have a backstory. I always remember seeing Bill Frizzell once, and he played this song, and, and someone was like, what's that called? And he's like, well, it's a song for my cat, you know? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, but you can't call it that. You have to call it, like, you know, something else. Right. So, because um, the record company doesn't want that. But um, I think... I think backstories are important. Um, I mean, I do write a lot of things that don't that just come out of melodies, come out of the air, sure. or the grooves come out of the air. Um, but I think connecting something with a story it does affect how you you know play the song. Like I don't know, a couple of records back, I had the song "Baba Yaga the Witch." You know, like Baba Yaga. You know, she was it was like one of my favorite stories when I was a kid. You know, she was not exactly the nicest person. Although in some cultures, she's actually supposed to be a good witch. Hmm. But in most cultures, she travels around in a mortar and pestle, and she has a right. house with um, uh, that moves around on chicken legs, which actually, if you think about, is it some of these Russian houses or Scandinavian houses, they actually were raised up on on these stilts to avoid flooding. So, uh, so you can see where the cultural things feed into it. But anyway, the song had this long narrative of like, here's the witch, and she's chasing these people, and here they get back at her, and they, you know, throw her in the river, and da da da, da. Here's the wah-wah section when they, <laughs> you know, which I kind of like, like, I mean, maybe my band's sort of like, okay, whatever. But to me, that narrative's important um, because it, uh, I don't know, it gives emotional content. It gives storytelling content. And I think that's, um, I think that's, in, I don't know, that's important to me. You know, I, I've, I have a lot of people listen to my music and they're like, your music should be used for movies. Like as a, and I'm not sure if they mean it should be a backdrop drop for movies or if it's, or if it tells, if imports some kind of, imparts some kind of story to them through the music, um, which is my hope. But if that's what they hear, that's great. Cause Hey, hire me in a movie. I'll do a movie score. <laughs> but I think there's something to it. Like making something for something. There's a lot to just making something for the sound of it too. I'm completely into that also but in this particular album it really i can't say there was a whole concept album but that the album really did come together as a whole because of the similar compositional structures within the songs and similar instrumentation um, and similar treatment through mixing and, and production
when you were in the studio and it was time to record one of the stories, uh, one of the stories, one of the songs that did have a story associated with it, would you tell the band the story to kind of get people in that same frame of mind or to at least tell them where you're coming from? Um, yeah, for some of the stuff I did. Uh, certainly the stuff with lyrics, it was pretty clear. Yeah, sure. I think everything actually I did tell them because they'd be like, you know, or they would respond to the song and I would say, well, it's about this, you know, like same moon, it's about looking at the same moon and the person you love is looking at the same moon, but they're like on another continent, you know? So it's that kind of feeling. So I think, I think also the players, what's amazing about my band and, and the, everyone just as players individually, they um, are really skilled in doing many diverse kinds of music and they're really school, uh, skilled in playing a song as a song, even if it's an instrumental thing. So um, it's an instrumental song, whatever that means, but like, uh, so that there's a sense of fullness and completion, start to finish completion and arc within the music, which is which is what one hopes for, but it's also really great when you have a band where everyone contributes so much of their own skill and, and listening um, to bring that to, to fruition. Um, so I think, I'm pretty sure I did tell people all the stories behind things. <laughs> Your band is interesting too because it's a uh, it is very cohesive, but it is also a band of leaders. I mean, a band of people who yeah. have their own very clear musical visions and, Absolutely. you know, many and very ambitious projects. I mean, everyone that you mentioned, I think, has released incredible music in, yeah, in the last decade yeah. or so. And so uh, I'm I'm just interested in what that's like kind of, I mean, uh, maybe personal relationships help us a lot, but what that's like navigating that for you when it is, in fact, your project. And now it's time for, you know, one person's vision to, to some degree, at least, assert itself. Well, I, you know, I tend to write a lot of things out and then I hand the charts to the band and and often they'll be like, well, you know, maybe we could do it this way or here, what about this sound or play it this way or let's mess around with the tempo. I mean, there's always suggestions which I filter through, but a lot of what, um, a lot of the choices that, that everyone in the band makes, you know, like how, if Brandon decides to play guitar on, instead of banjo on something, um, it really charges the song differently but it all works because his choices for me are great and when eric you know is playing the piano or if he's uh like when we're touring in europe like he's often got the role of the bass player so he'll um you know be basically kicking bass with the left hand and you know his choices of how he does it they they help the song so much like um yeah both actually everybody has helped uh, I think sculpt the songs in some ways to, to you know, kind of give them that shape. And I think a lot of that comes from them being leaders because they just sort of know what their style is and they do it. And they're, you know, um, I don't know, everyone's really open to, you know, I'm getting direction, but then also giving suggestions. And I think um, I really value what all of them contribute, you know, so, and uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's it. It's just that I really value what they're saying and they are also able to listen to what I want. So, which is amazing and perfect because, you know, they, I would hope that if I'm in any of their projects or in any plane I'm doing with them, it would be the same where like they can say, this is what I need and how do we achieve it musically? And just sort of relying on people being good enough musicians and listeners and composers in their own right, where we can find, we can find that balance to make the piece work the best it can. 
Does the music on this album take on any kind of different character in live performance? Does it does it go in in different places? Or? It definitely stretches out more for sure. Like uh, solos stretch out more. Um, some songs we might not even have a solo on uh, live. It just sort of depends on what the set's looking like and what we're trying to do. Um, yeah, I think that's the main thing is that we'll stretch. And sometimes we'll just start messing with the forms and like doing weird intros and doing whole, you know, free improvisation things that get into another song or get into another place. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of the I try to write music that also has that possibility to expand and contract. Like, here's the form, here are these melodies that I want hit, you know, played as landmarks. But um, sometimes we can be like, oh, okay, well, we ended in this different section. We didn't actually go back to the head. We just went from this one place and we ended up in a completely different place in a live situation. And that's great. With the vocal songs, that tends to happen less. Sure. But um, with the instrumental songs, definitely. There's a lot more stretching out and go into different fields and doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Otherwise it gets, you know, otherwise you're like, Oh, okay. We're playing the song again, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So, so, and again, because everyone's such great players, it's like, you know, just, I think it's more fun to allow people freedom to do, you know, to be themselves musically. And because I never feel like the song is not being represented um, or being cheated somehow by not following the form. So, when you were introducing the band you said you hope to take them around the world is that something that you're going to have a chance to do uh, coming up um, I know you we're have to do, well we're going to do a little west coast tour in November and I'm working on some European stuff for the spring um, it's hard you know as everyone knows it's economic times are a little bit tough so it's um, well Mitt Romney will fix all that so oh, yeah. by the spring everything should be fine right yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh dear please please no Please, no, go out and vote. If you're not registered, go. Um, uh, Yeah, I mean, truthfully, one of the things I'm looking for is trying to find, you know, help with that and um, trying to, yeah, I mean, if I can, if I can get the booking to work and really get us places, I would love it. Yeah, because I think this music is great. And I think it would um, connect with a lot of people. And 
and I really like it and the band seems to like it. So if the conditions are right, it would be wonderful. Sure. So, and you know, and I like traveling and, um, so I'm always like, okay, how do I get the gig in, you know, Brazil? How do I get the gig in Japan? <laughs> how do I get, you know, so strategizing. <laughs> yeah. Will you talk about some of the other projects you're involved in these days? Um, well, let's see. So there's the Tiptons, which is an all women saxophone quartet with drums. And we, at the moment, have a guy drummer. We used to be all women, but, um, and we are working on a new CD and we're going to be actually doing this new project. Um, Amy Denio and I are working a lot on the text. It's called Myth Understandings. And we're going to be do- premiering that in Seattle in January. Um, and that's going to involve the Tiptons also, which will be music sort of of common myths and memory and music and memory. And we're in the process of weaving it all together now. Um, with original text or text the, you've adapted from uh, other with sources? With text from interviews with different people. Oh, cool. So we're actually seeking to interview people from all different kinds of levels of life and uh, experiences. Um, sort of, yeah, from you know, and all age levels too, where, where, you know, music or art has had an impact on people and what's that impact been and has it, has music, you know, saved you, has music taken you a different place and sort of memories like that. Um, and also talking about mythologies, like common mythologies and working mythologies that people have to function daily, but also about, I don't know, about anything, you know, something that they learned in their family that's May or may not true, but <laughs> but like these urban myths. I mean, it's not really the urban myth thing in sort of some cliche way. Like, are there alligators in the sewer? Right. But um, just thinking about, I guess it's about music and memory and and myth in terms of people constructing their own myths. So it's all a bit vague, but it'll be beautiful. I'm sure. Yeah, it sounds fascinating. <laughs> and. Um, and actually, I'm going. Uh, my husband Daniel Jezel is an amazing visual artist. He actually did uh, the visual thing for Brooklyn Babylon with Darcy James Argue that was at BAM yeah. uh, last fall. And um, I'll just break in there to mention that Darcy was on the show talking about that, and so folks can go hear all about that. Oh, cool! In the archives. Yeah, yeah, he just recorded. I think. Yeah. Finally, so the mu- that music was incredible, and so Daniel did all the painting and, and the animation. And he and I do uh, multimedia stuff around the world, pr- presentations and shows. We have a new project um, called Cuore. We're working with um, Marco Molinelli, who's this great Italian um, videographer. And we're hoping to bring that many places. That's another another project of, like, how to get it out these places we want to go. Um, Can you say more about that, a little more um, about Cuore, it's, it's about, it's seven little chapters. And it's, Cuore means heart in Italian. Um, and... We have either some interviews or text that Daniel wrote um, that's all about aspects of heart. Like one is an interview of um, two lovers where one person is dead, but they're having a conversation. Um, There's another where there's a homeless person in New York. Actually, it was something that Daniel heard on the train of this guy who was like, I'm sure that, you know, give something, anything. I've heard that 17% of people have heart. And another one is... um, uh, a soldier coming to the soldier, uh, the army coming to the soldier's wife and trying to get back the piece of the soldier that she still has, which is his heart. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think what's another one. Oh, and then an interview of somebody who was in Abu Ghraib, a prisoner, and his how his heart became black. It's all this, so it's all this imagery about heart and connection and human experience and um, 
yeah, what does heart mean? And then I've composed music for it and uh, we've performed it with uh, me and the tremor Robert Kiner from Salzburg, Austria, where we're using effects and loops and um, I'm playing, you know, a bunch of different instruments and singing and he's doing a bunch of different weird percussion and stuff. Um, so that's like a full an evening piece. There actually is a link on my website so you can see it. It's We have like a little promo, but you can also go see the whole thing that we did in Zagreb for the noir festival in june where we do the whole piece but it's it's really cool and i'm hoping that we can do a lot more of that and and then um have you done it here in the states we yet? haven't done it here in the states and okay. that's what i'm working on right now is gotcha. trying to figure out how to find you know it's it's the whole production thing it's like sure. we need the ten thousand lumen product <laughs> projector <Right. laughs> so we really need that um and and just you know trying to bring over the europeans and and make it all work sure but um but i'm really excited about that project and uh, Daniel and I are going to do this thing called zoology. And actually we're bringing Brandon with us. Actually, by the time you broadcast this, we'll have done it in Paris. We're going there September 28th. This is uh, where we're going to do a multimedia thing. He'll do live painting and we'll play some music, new music that I'm composing, <laughs> composing as we speak, <laughs> um, for that. And we'll be working with a French drummer, Benjamin Sanz, who I was for, referred to through Sam Bardfeld. So, of jazz violinist here right. in the city um so uh but i haven't played with him so i'm excited about that and then um oh what's the next thing and then i'm in the circus right now circus amok <laughs> which is this crazy circus and um yeah those are sort of the main things there's also this amazing latin project that i'm in with uh elizabeth pupa walker who's this great percussionist in town who i know from seattle and um we have this project called La Buya, which is our Latin project with, um, uh, God, it's a, a roaming cast of characters. Skerik has played in it. Uh, Cochame Gastelum has played in it. Um, Juancho Herrera has played in it. Uh, Aaron Halva is now playing in it. Um, we have various bass players. Chris Stromquist is on drums. And that's just like this really fun Latin project that we're going to, hopefully get the CD out in the next month or so. Oh, that's great. So what an incredible diversity of, it's a diversity. Of yeah. And then I also play a lot of Balkan music and a lot of Klezmer stuff. So. Right. <laughs> well, actually right now I'm in the Zion 80 project with John Madoff. Oh, cool. At the stone. So there I get to play baritone and that's like Car Shlomo Karlbach, you know, these Jewish songs done in the style of Fela Kuti and Frank <laughs> London's playing in that. And Frank and I, you know, so yeah, it's, it's very funny where you have, you're playing like, it's like it's Afrobeat, but, I understand the Latin connection with the Jewish connection with the almost on Balkan connection with the, you know, so it all kind of makes sense and it's all funky. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which, which kind of leads me to, to one, I mean, there's, there's a part of me that really likes, um, very specifically authentic music from different cultures. So, you know, this is performed by people who they grew up listening to this music. Their generations before have played this music, and it's incredibly accurate and specific. And then there's also a part of me that really likes the idea that all music fits together if you're willing to give it a if you're willing give to it give it a try, it a shot, right. right? Yeah. And I don't know. So do you? Uh, I mean, do you ever find yourself like wondering, well, I wonder which of these things this should be part? You know, should we just try to actually nail? Should we do the... a cra crazy mashup? Right. Um, well, I mean, you know. Tiptons do things like, well, this was Amy's composition. It was like, do you know the way to San Jose with cashmere by Led Zeppelin? So <laughs> carrying the carpenters and Zeppelin. But, you know, we were like, sing a simple song merged with aqualung sort of thing. 
which which anything is possible. Um, I I think with the mashups, I I guess for me, I like to know where the music's coming from, and so, know some of that history if, as much as one can. Um, if it's going to be ethnic music that you're or world music that you're combining, um, but I think that. Uh, I guess if you know that and you know the traditional background behind it, then when you do the mashup, anything is possible. So, I mean, you just think about like, I don't know, reggaeton, or you think about like all this disco beats behind every possible ethnic music in the world. Or, <laughs> you know, clearly the cultures from where it's coming from have no problem bringing in the American influence. Um it may it may not be three or four cultural mashups in one, which sure. is, becomes a different thing. But you know, like I was just up at this uh, this sort of Yiddish retreat, Klez Canada, and, you know, working in this or in this band with Frank London, who is like one of the champions of mashup, where it's like you know the Latin tune with the Jewish traditional Jewish numbers, and you know, and it all works. It you know smashing things up side by side, and it comes. And, that, you know, there's history behind that, too. But but it's sort of like, is your ear big enough to want to go there? Like, you, you can have the the Latin, the traditional Latin tune into the excerpt of the, um, you know, Ashkenazi melody into complete free jazz noise into, you know, a beatboxer. Like, all of that's, all of that's totally possible. Yeah. And I think, actually, a lot of that stuff I, I see in New York as much... I mean, it's, I feel like Seattle like influenced a lot of my eclectic tastes, but I think a lot of the mashups I see, I see a lot of them happening in New York, where there's just like people are like, "How do we do this? Okay, let's put it together." And this, the funny thing is, this circus, circus muck, it's the the soundtrack that we're doing. It's all these weird mashups of like, you know, folk songs like "How are we gonna keep them down on the farm?" into like the Armenian like pop tune into the Lebanese pop tune, which, you know, you want to, those cultures wouldn't want to mix so much maybe. And then into, you know, the klezmer number, you know, so it's like, I live in a world of mashups, but don't we all, you know? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So I think, I think it's, um, I think if your ear can hear it, it's possible. And that, and that if there's a way to weave all those things, then it's, then it's magic, you know? My guest is Jessica Lurie. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much for Thank doing you very it. much for having me. When I was young The corn ran high It reached to the sun And it gets to the sky But all that's long gone It's been taken away strip mall and your packaged up dream I dreamed that the green was the bottom of the sea and the blue sky the ocean covering over me I screamed out your name And the river ran high All the flowers were blooming With the whale swimming by 
music from Jessica Lurie and her album Megaphone Heart. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Kyle Kwas. Please do follow me on Twitter at Jason D. Crane. You can also join the mailing list, which you'll find a link to at thejazzsession.com. You can read my travel diaries and my poetry at jasoncrane.org. And now, get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.